this uh, This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Loftus Cheek, and you're listening to the London, the London is Blue podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. As always, your host, Brandon, Joe, my host, Dan, not Nick. He was doing double duty instead. Dan, we are here bringing. Uh, our monthly update of the Youth Academy over at Cobb. And obviously, you and I, neither of us being experts, we brought in the big gun himself, Chelsea Youth. I mean, we did. I mean, it's you know when you talk about the Cobham crew, when you talk about the bridge from the academy to the first team, there is no one better than our friend Phil to do that. And uh, in between uh, raising a new one and moving house, has still had found has still found time to amass the world's best knowledge as it relates to our academy. And so, Phil, how are you holding up? And uh, welcome back. I'm doing very well, thanks. And thanks for the kind words. It's hard to believe we've already had a month of the uh, the youth football season, but that means there's plenty to talk about. That is right. And that's what I have outlined here for. So we'll talk about the dev squad, uh, unfortunately, winless in the PL2 with two draws and a defeat, but they won their first group fixture of the Papa John's trophy. So we'll cover on them. Uh, UEFA Youth League fixtures were announced for the U19s. And then we'll cover the three matches that the U18s have played because boy, are they off to a literal flying start. Uh, then later we'll talk about after the break, we'll touch on Andrin's loan, how it went late, what that might look like. Uh, Sterling, Balo, Ampadu, and those who didn't get moves, Baker, Musanda, Uwakwe, McEachern. Um, but yet we do have some positives on the loan front as well. Not all negative is the window shut with Connor Gallagher, Levi Cole, and Armando Broja as well. So uh, before we get into it, I think we can say a little gratitude, Dan. We have the Apple Podcast crew going. My word, my, my word, they are keeping you busy. Well, yeah, we appreciate it. Again, a five-star review in Apple Podcasts helps people find the show, helps people let them know that they're looking for a Chelsea podcast that is the best one in the business. So we want to thank iEater Crown IT from India, Isaac Major from Australia, Hong Kong Rob from, you guessed it, Hong Kong. We had uh, Baja Chaser from the United States. We had Up the Chelsea Isaac from Canada, Kobe Tyndall from the United States, Trini GPD from the United States, Nancy from the Jacksonville Blues. We had Reagans from the U.S., Ghost Rose, I'm guessing someone from Houston or Friends of the Bayou in the United States, and then Ben from New Zealand, all leaving wonderful five-star reviews. We super appreciate it, and thank you for doing great work. It's your turn now if you haven't done it before, so go ahead and do it just while you're listening to the rest of the intro. All right, well, let's go ahead uh, and jump into the Dev Squad, which I have for First, uh, you can call them the U23s, just to kind of give you guys a quick overview of what this team is coming off of last season. Manchester City are the title holders. Um, they, From there, we have the results in August. So Chelsea have a bit of ground to make up, I think it's fair to say. Uh, last year, City winning. Chelsea kind of what they about mid table fill is that right maybe coming below the no, ideal standards they they finished second in the end but they oh, were right. a little bit inconsistent um in the in the early part of the season before coming together at the end it wouldn't really have mattered much because Man City were on a, a record breaking pace they had such a talented group last year a lot of the players who had beaten Chelsea in the delayed uh, youth cup final from the season before that's a really talented city squad and some of them have uh, made an impact in the first team over preseason um but they'll be good again as as we've seen at the start of the season but Chelsea themselves haven't necessarily been as bad as a winless start might suggest well let's go ahead I guess the results that I've had so far up to this date Dan uh they opened with a 2-2 draw at Tottenham uh that was uh very dramatic uh in what happened in that one uh with a last minute penalty save to preserve a point 
then drew 1-1 against Man United. We had a sending off. Uh, then beat Exeter City. It was 1-1 in regulation, 1-4-3 on pens uh, in the Papa John's Cup. And then uh, we recently just played West Ham and lost 2-1 as well. Uh, but there are some highlights in here that I want to talk about. The team is settling into a 3-4-2-1 system, but Dan Harvey Vale is off to a flying start with three goals uh, in four matches, one of them being penalty and even up for August PL2 Player of the Month shortlist. Yeah, so it's a great little start for him. And you know, I think when you actually look back at a couple of these results, particularly West Ham one in general, West Ham, you know, for those who aren't aware, don't have the table right in front of them, West Ham are currently third. They have the most goals scored in the PL2 at 10. Um, <clears throat> they've got a plus four goal difference, which puts them on level with Brighton and with Manchester City. And so in, in general, Maybe not as terrible as a start as you might think, as the results might give you based upon just, again, we matriculate so many of those players. We have so many of those players who might be contributing to the squad out on loan. Um, but yeah, you know, I think if you want to wax a little more poetic around uh, Harvey Vale and how he's got on Phil, we will give you all the space to do so. Yeah, we, we can start with Harvey because he fully deserves that nomination for player of the month. He's... Still not 18, um, early September. Um, and it's easy to forget that sometimes when you see the standard to which he's been playing. He, he was up with the development squad for the second half of last season, but didn't always play in what we would call his favoured position, which is sort of as a, an attacking eight, number 10, middle of the third, middle of the pitch, being able to uh, drive into the penalty area and make things happen. He was playing, uh, left wing back, which coincidentally is where he's been playing for England under 19s against Germany just now, as I was watching. But you get him in, in and around the penalty area and things happen. He's a creator. He's a ball carrier. He's a finisher. And he's been the, the productive player to start this season, um, winning penalties that he scored himself and generally driving the team's play. And, they drew uh, at Tottenham and then they drew at home to Manchester United in two of the tougher fixtures that they're going to have to to start a campaign, particularly at this point of the season as well, because some of the season, some of the transfers hadn't settled down yet. So Tottenham still had uh, Ryan Sessegnon playing in, in that development squad game. They had Harvey White, who spent the season on loan in League One last season. Um, Manchester United were a bit younger, but one of the bigger quality academies you've got around. And West Ham, uh, who started the season really well, they beat Arsenal 6-1. They had a bunch of investment over the summer, but they've also carried the likes of Yarmolenko and Masuaku and Manuel Lanzini into their development squad early on. Only Masuaku played against Chelsea, but it's this sort of thing. Those players come in and give you early season momentum. So not to have won is obviously disappointing. It's an academy that wants to win as often as they can. But we were moments away from saying three draws from three, including two London derbies, because the West Ham game went to 16 minutes of added time. And West Ham scored their winner in the 10th minute of that added time. That that can happen sometimes. There was a, an injury to a West Ham defender. Fortunately, I think he's okay. But you take the precautions. The match had a, a significant delay and it didn't really feel like a, a normal match after that. Uh, so I watched uh, the, the, the first two, the United and the Tottenham. And you had some heroics in there, which I, I would like to point out. Because not only do we have the goals, you had Lucas Bergstrom save that late penalty in the Spurs match. Uh, and we talked about this on the update a little bit, Phil, but for those that missed it, and then you have two two matches later, Sharman Lowe, the other goalkeeper on the roster, was the penalty shootout heroics against Exeter City. So, again, a lot of strength, I guess, you know, from the back moving forward. Um, but they have a lot to kind of figure out. It seems like you can get a lead, but they can't hold the lead at this point. 
is is what I'm seeing with this with this group. No, they're not having any trouble scoring. I think it's the game management. Yeah, for sure. And like we touched on in one of the uh, shorter updates, that a lot of the players in the team didn't have a full preseason or were absent for injury or for COVID reasons and had their plans disrupted. So they they were short of match fitness for the first half of the season and. Uh, sorry, first month of the season. And it takes some time to build that up and to get routine going. And just as they've played four matches, then they're off for a a fortnight for the international break for those who aren't going off and playing for their countries. So it's hard for everybody to manage and certain clubs are in the same boat as well. But it's it's not been a terrible start. And the the win at Exeter in the EFL trophy was... um, Impressive. They probably should have taken all three points. Uh, for those unfamiliar, you get a bonus point for winning the penalty shootout. So Chelsea only have two instead of three, having conceded in deep into stoppage time in that one as well. And it's it's, it's going to come together because they've got a good group of talented players who they just need to get fit and cohesive and playing together again. Oh, well, I mean, it, extra point though. It sounds like toppings like a bonus topping so it's just very fitting it's the papa john's tournament <laughs> yeah exactly it's it, it's 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 the um the efl trophy I, i'm not going to call it by a sponsor's name very often because it changes year on year and confuses people but essentially it's the the league one and league two teams with invited under 21 academy sides controversial for supporters of um efl teams because they fear it being a backdoor into b teams eventually coming into the pyramid but we've been through five six years of this competition now and people know what it is some teams take it more seriously than others exeter took it relatively seriously and um, and chelsea performed pretty well on the night all right last one i want to talk in the dev squad is fiabama he's got two goals in three matches um yeah, what do you? How is his start so far? Uh, he's done well because he was one of those who was missing a little bit in preseason, and he he has the the aura of a player who maybe should score more goals than he does. Uh, the Exeter game was a really good example of that because he scored a really nicely taken goal just before half time, showing the composure and technique to to finish one on one. But five minutes earlier, had a near identical chance that he nearly put out of the ground, and it's not the first time that we've seen that. And this is what development football is about. He's a talent. He's got so many of the things you look for in a modern day number nine who can also play in the, the withdrawn roles or wide in a 4-3-3, whatever you want to do with him. He, he ticks all the boxes. He just needs a little bit more time, a little bit more work to, to lead the line for the development squad. And he'll get that opportunity this year because it's him and Jude Soon-Sutt-Bell um, and the newcomer Jaden Wareham, who we signed from Woking back in the spring. George Nunn doesn't seem to be getting so many opportunities up front now with some impressive performances as a left wing back. And the opportunity is going to be there for Fiabama to get plenty of minutes this season. All right. Well, a quick look ahead at upcoming fixtures. We've got uh, Manchester City when we return on the 11th of September. Uh, then we head to Arsenal eight days later. I'm sorry, they come to us eight days le- later. Uh, and then lastly, to round out uh, what seems like a tough month, if this were the first team, <laughs> um, they got the Liverpool team coming to King's Meadow. Uh, real quick, this team is playing at Sanford Bridge on the 19th of September, Phil. Pretty big deal. Yeah, they are. It's the second of three scheduled games there this season. They drew uh, with Manchester United at Stamford Bridge in August. They're, they're expecting a fairly decent crowd for that one. Uh, the maximum they'll go up to is 5,000, but that's pretty decent for a development squad game. And then Liverpool at King's Meadow will represent the first opportunity for the development squad to play in front of fans at their new home because they spent all of last season uh, behind closed doors there. 
and it's slightly closer to a traditional Chelsea community than Aldershot is. It's easier to get to, so hopefully it'll be uh, a nice boon for people in the, the local area to get down and watch the development squad, see the, the stars of tomorrow for a very reasonable amount of money. All right, then lastly, time to are you concerned about this team or are you still feeling bullish that they'll they'll click and get it together? I'm always bullish about the, the academy teams because they're well coached, they're, they're talented players, they're always pushing the the younger ones through to to new and in, uh, improved challenges, and they'll loan players out at younger ages. It's it's a development squad, but this is a team that treats it as a competition. They want to win. They are definitely one of the strongest squads in the competition, uh, and we'll see how they get on. The game away to Manchester City will be quite revealing in that regard. City are the defending champions and maybe have the best team in the league, but Chelsea drew two all home and away with them last season. They were. Uh, at least on par on the pitch when they face them and they always have a, a pretty good match against um, one of the other clubs around who would like to assert themselves as having the best academy in the country. All right, so we're going to pivot then to the U18s and look, there's been some results so far in the uh, the way it's gone so far. For those who don't remember, uh, we you know, there's the North and South Division. So last season we finished uh, very firmly mid-table in in seventh position uh, with 11 wins, three draws, and 10 losses, total of 36 points, um, well behind uh, Fulham, who was first in the south, and Manchester City, who was first in the north at 61. Current results were a 3-1 victory over Norwich, a 7-2 victory over Tottenham, um, 7-2 at home, 7-2 at home, uh, and then uh, Chelsea 5, West Brom 2. So, Phil, in general, yeah, these were some much better results as it contrasts to the U23s and uh, seemingly um, more settled in uh, those initial couple matches. Yeah, they have been settled and um, a little part of that has been because some of the uh, older players have been up with the development squad, some of them on merit and some of them through necessity with uh, the aforementioned absences. But what it has meant is that um, a significant number of the new first-year scholars, 10 of them, have been getting minutes early and often. They're a very highly rated group. Several of them have been away with England's under-17s recently and, and been impressive with them. Uh, Ronnie Stutter among them has been captain. He's been in fine form so far, scored in the first three league games, which no academy striker has done for some 25 years, which if you think we've had Tammy Abraham and Dominic Solanke and E.K. Ogbo and Jude Soonsart-Bell come through and Armando Broja scoring prolifically, none of them have managed to score in their first three league matches. He has. He's been an absolute live wire in a team that loves to attack, loves to score goals, creates chances, and could have had more than the 15 they've already scored. I, I was watching some of these results, and they're just flooding in. One question I do have is is up up top with the, the U23s, you know, they're playing that 3-4-2-1 um, type formation. I, I couldn't get any information on what is this formation style of this team, minus the fact when I look at the highlights at Tottenham, it was just relentlessly run and attack and smother your opponents until they give up. <laughs> yeah, they were a class apart that day. This is a team that traditionally also plays the 3-4-2-1, the 3-4-3, whatever you want to call it. But they've started this season mainly in a 4-3-3 shape. It's been very loose and very... Um, fluid in certain situations both uh, both fullbacks for example will get up and down as if they're playing wingbacks and you only have the two centre-halves you can get away with that in some academy games because 
a lot of teams will play a, a, a traditional a bog standard four three three, and you've got two centre backs against a, a striker who, uh, more often than not, isn't going to be big enough to occupy two defenders by himself. So you can be ambitious and know that you're you've got the better quality players and play a little bit more expansively at this level. Then you've had uh, Lewis Hall and Billy G holding in midfield. And then a front four that's very fluid. It's mainly been Jimmy Tarion and Edwin Anderson, Leo Castledine and Ronnie Stutter moving around. Stutter nominally the striker uh, and Torian are nominally the 10, but a lot of them will move in and out. Torian will come deep and he's been really impressive. And, and that fluidity and the quality of Lewis Hall's passing from the deeper positions has just opened up teams time and time again on the overloads. You have Richard Olise down the left, uh, which is really impressive for him because he's mostly a right-sided player. He's been outstanding. Derek Abu's been really good on the right. Brody Hughes, a centre-half who can also play at right-back, has has been in making goals against Tottenham. So they, they've been scoring plenty of goals. They've played some really attractive football and it's an exciting time for the team as they come back in after this international break to, to face Birmingham, looking to stay top and to stay in goal-scoring mood. This is all exciting. This is all really, really exciting. And not to jump in on Brandon Busby's uh, script here and parade. But, you know, I think, Phil, again, all of these are maybe players who are new, right? You know, some of the U23 player names people are going to be very familiar with. We talked about the fact, though, that we've got 10 first year scholars in this U18 side. Who are the one or two that you would maybe point out just to watch or keep an eye on that you think are going to really flourish this season again, just from that that small subset of matches? Well, I, I just rattled off four or five of them who've done really well. Stutter is obviously the, the the main man up front. He's he's atypical of recent Chelsea strikers in that he's not a big presence at number nine. Abraham's always been tall, even if he didn't fill out. Dominic Solanke the same. Ogbo's got a presence about him. Brogia, big, powerful striker. Stutter is more in the Michael Owen vein as the comparison that immediately came to mind and it's dangerous when you start to throw around comparisons to players who lived who had a really really high level career but he he loves playing on the the last shoulder uh the, the last defender's shoulder sorry and and playing on those through balls from midfield he will run all day he'll run the channels he's got quality when he gets the ball out wide he's an instinctive finisher in the box he's got that low center of gravity that allows him to dribble past players at speed and it's been a while since Chelsea had that sort of centre forward. So it's it's a challenge for them to slightly adapt their playing style while still retaining the core principles of it. And it's, it's really working well for them early in the season because Lewis Hall's passing from midfield has been a joy to behold at times. Same with Billy G. Those are two first-year scholars as well. They, they keep the play moving in a vertical fashion. They get balls playing between uh, defenders in the midfield and between the full-backs and centre-halves pulling players left, right and centre. And then you've got the intelligence of someone like Castledine, who's been playing for England at every age group. Chelsea signed him as a 15-year-old from Wimbledon, where his dad was a Premier League player in the 1990s. Uh, he'll move around. He'll he'll join the play with little touches here and there and has that eye for goal driving in on the edge of the box and looking to to to, to get in on the act. So, uh, yeah, from what I... And, and to kind of like provide context to this, this is like a very formative age group and team. If you go down the table and kind of look at other results, right? Because you look at this, I'm like, okay, Chelsea have scored an amazing amount of goals. Granted, the Tottenham match is maybe a bit of a one-off, but you've conceded five and three. Chelsea have scored 15. Villa have scored 14. Arsenal scored 10. Southampton has scored 12. This is a league of learning. 
And I, I, the fact that there's so much scoring, but then so much conceding to me really goes about that. And the poor North City team that are negative 14 on goal difference after three matches. Yeah, it's been a it's been a wild start to the season. You mentioned that Arsenal have scored four. Uh, sorry, Villa have scored 14. Arsenal have scored 10. Villa scored 10 of those against Norwich, but conceded five to <laughs> Arsenal. And correct. <laughs> and it's it's one of those things where there's been some some really chaotic scoring in the first couple of weeks of the season. So Chelsea play Birmingham in their next fixture. Uh, Birmingham just beat Tottenham, but lost seven two to Southampton before that. And one of the Southampton players scored five. And it's it's been wild at the start of the season. And it's it's not necessarily through any sort of delayed pandemic effect or players being missing in preseason. It settled down in the round before the uh, before the international break, but. Academy football is sort of prone to this because, as you say, it's still a very early development stage for them as professionals. There's a style of football that is not entirely representative of what you'll see even at PL2 level. Definitely not the the professional game in terms of contact, in terms of intensity, in terms of the pace of play. And the the difference in talent level is so much wider than it ever... It, it, it narrows closer towards the top level you get. And so you end up with situations where everyone's talented to a degree, but obviously the players at the, the bigger clubs are more likely to have more talented 16-year-olds at the time. And through any number of variables, you'll end up with Villa beating Norwich 10-0 one week, but struggling the next. Again... I- that's kind of I'm I'm just really want to like frame this for people as they look at these results and these score lines is that like this is you know like I said a formative time where these players are learning how to be successful professional footballers that are you know you know want to go on from there and so I feel like there's just so much learning and as you and I were talking in one of our updates it's a much more chaotic there's a lot more transition in these matches than other ones um, and so it, it it's fun but I just want people to kind of pause and not get too wrapped up in and a lot of the highs and lows because it is going to be a long season just in, in general. So, um, well, it's good that you point that out though, Brandon, because it's really, it's really good to understand that in those first three games, Chelsea, U18's formative understanding of how to win and win effectively, Tottenham U18's learning to carry on that tradition of seven, two <laughs> okay. losses, just really, really exceptional stuff. Yeah. They've, they've had a rough start to the season. Uh, but as we look ahead at September's fixtures, three more matches for this group. So they're going to be playing uh, at home to Birmingham, Birmingham City, uh, at home to Blackburn Rovers on the 18th of September. And then they will be uh, headed over to Leicester City on the 25th. So again, three more matches that you can take in. Uh, plenty of, of youth football after the international break. Uh, Phil, anything to touch on as we head into September with the 18s? Yeah, the Blackburn game is the first match in the Under-18 Cup, which is not to be confused with the FA Youth Cup. It's more the equivalent to the League Cup, where uh, it's played between the 24 Category 1 teams, and it gives an opportunity for intra-region football. So obviously we've been discussing Chelsea's part of the South League. Ordinarily their 20-something fixture list doesn't include uh, matches against the Northern teams. Uh, This cup competition provides that with two North and two South in each group. So Chelsea are playing Blackburn, who are currently top of the North table and in fine prolific form themselves. That will be more of a challenge to people just assuming Chelsea are playing Blackburn, a championship team, uh, might assume that they're a really good team. And it's... Traditionally, an opportunity that Chelsea use to give minutes to maybe some schoolboys or players who are on the fringes of the squad in the cup, but Blackburn are going to come in good form with a new manager and 
it's maybe the toughest match that Chelsea have had so far, on paper at least. Yeah. One, right. one other thing um, that we just <clears throat> haven't touched on yet, but uh, is also making a return though, is U19 and uh, the UEFA Youth Cup, because that's, that's another correct. thing we'll yeah. have matches against uh, Zenit and Juventus coming up next month, which, um, Phil, from that standpoint, how ready do you feel um, maybe our sides are going to be heading into that? And, and how will that work? Because obviously it's U19 versus U18, and for those who maybe aren't aware of how that competition sets up. Yeah, it's obviously Chelsea have won it twice in the, the middle of last decade and been in two finals otherwise that they didn't win. So it's about time that they did get back and, and win the trophy again. It mirrors the Champions League as far as Chelsea are concerned so that we're playing Juventus, Malmö and Zenit St. Petersburg in the group stage with the home and away fixtures uh, mirroring the first teams during the same game week. It was on hiatus last season. UEFA tried to schedule... A, a, rev, a revised version of the competition which would have been straight knockouts from March but obviously the state of the pandemic through Europe meant it was uh, sensibly abandoned so it's back and it's an, a competition that's eligible for players born January 1st 2003 and later there are provisions for three 2002 borns in the group so Chelsea have a handful of those uh, Josh Brooking, Lucas Bergström uh, among them, uh, but the likes of Xavier Umbuyamba cannot play. He is too old. And so the competition being on hiatus for a year will have cost some players uh, a year of eligibility that they may not get back and therefore never get to play in it. That's unfortunate. But the the 2003s, uh, the likes of Harvey Vale, the 2004s, Jude Bell, Charlie Webster, these are going to be important players in a, a team that will come along as it goes through the season. I think they've got a I wouldn't say a favourable group stage. All the teams in there look capable, but at the same time, they've qualified because their senior team are in the Champions League. It's not like the other half of the UEFA Youth League draw where the domestic champions of each country qualify. So I think Chelsea will always back themselves in this sort of competition to at least get out of the group stage. They've only failed to do that once, and that was the last time they were in it in 2019-20. And, and and they'll go from there. They, they, they'll grow throughout the season and grow in confidence and grow as a team. And you'll see who emerges as the leader and uh, and, and uh, the more experienced players trying to, to step up. All right. Uh, again, we love European trophies. All right. This is a, a fun one for this group. So high expectations, but just wanted to announce that the schedule was released. Um, to your point, Phil, in your tweets, you caveat it with all dates, times, venues, subject to change. Uh, so we'll keep everyone apprised. But uh, yeah, those will start in September. So j- big month in September. <laughs> I think, big, big the, month. For the, for the club across all teams. So uh, but hey, we're going to take a real quick break. When we get back, we have a lot of questions. We're going to talk kind of about the uh, quote unquote youth exodus that may or may not have happened this summer. Uh, talk about some um, maybe unfortunate loans or non-loans, and then obviously end with the positives as well. So uh, thank you to the sponsors for financially supporting the show, and we'll be right back. All right. Well, coming out of the break, we also wanted to thank some of our Patreons who are lovely, lovely people hanging out with us on Discord. Dan, uh, we've got Gabriel, who upped a monthly to a yearly sub. Uh, You've got Brandon, Justin, McLean, Thaddeus, Ty, and Nishit all joining the bandwagon as well. Welcome to the family. Uh, again, just want to take some time out to thank everyone. And obviously, Dan, we're going to have more episodes continuing this week. As we just talked about here, 
all the youth teams are playing. The women's has started, and then the men are going to be back post-international break. So just keep the subs up. Oh, yeah. Look, we've got a, a Tinkerman episode coming from our boy Joe Tweeds and Yaz, a new member of the London is Blue family in that regard. We've got an Aston Villa preview and then match review coming up the following weekend. Uh, Abby Mack is going to be joining us back again in the hot seat to do that. And then we've got Champions League midweek matches. So it just doesn't stop, Brandon. It does not stop. We did 19 pods last month we are budgeted for 18 at the moment yeah i'm sure we'll find a way to get to 20 accidentally uh but phil let's go ahead and bring you to the point in the script where i took a little screenshot of some things you tweeted out uh, a few days ago uh and it's actually in reference to your tweet back on the 25th of january so this is when tuchel took charge would, would i be correct in that timing it was the day that Lampard was Lampard relieved sacked, of his yeah. duties. So close enough I because everyone knew the same day that Tuchel to was think arriving. think about it as yes. not Lampard leaving. <laughs> yes. Um, to your point, you said, uh, t- t- telling you now, if you've ever expressed any interest in any single one of the numerous talented youngsters still coming through at Chelsea and you're happy with today's developments, i.e. Lampard leaving, be careful what you wish for. Those players, their agents, their families will be watching closely and now, fast forward to your tweet on the 1st of September. It said, you quote tweeted saying, if you're keeping up, Abraham, Tamori, Andrin, uh, gone on a loan with an option. Gurhi gone, Ugbo, Livermento, Bate, Pert Harris, Simu, Lewis, Equa, Wigget, all gone. And the rest uh, are loans without option is a bit different. But to your point, it's just that there was a lot of movement this summer. And right or wrong, I tend to think that, unfortunately, these are the only players that carried value in the market unlike a lot of the high wage first team players that don't get any minutes yeah absolutely and that in itself was a coalescence of the market conditions and uh the window at the i wouldn't quite say the end of a pandemic but the end for the premier league are concerned because fans are back in stadiums and the business is being run nearly as usual but it was obvious from the moment that lampard departed whether it was last january whether it was this summer whether it was five years time that this sort of thing was going to come because any other manager than him or a very select number of cases regardless of their merit to be manager doesn't have the same credit built up uh for the academy players um had he stayed chelsea would unlikely be your two European champions. Let's be honest about that. But for that moment of success, there is on the flip side, Chelsea have lost a generation of young talent for enough money to fund a move for Romelu Lukaku this summer. Fine. But potentially a a larger cost. And it's, it's a conversation that requires a lot more depth and nuance and time. And there'll be opportunities for that. But essentially if, this is to become a a more common thing in windows to come and in the months and years ahead, then you'll be seeing more situations where the Tino Livermento going for 5 million will be the peak of it because players who don't make the first team aren't going to have the opportunity to earn or to, to, to garner such a transfer fee as Mark Gurhey did. Uh, yes, Gurhi played twice for the first team, but those two first team opportunities were were impressive. He proved that he could hang at that level in the League Cup against Manchester United, against Marcus Rashford, and so on. Uh, it's it's a little bit more nuanced than that, but nevertheless disappointing to see a dozen or so academy players leave in the same summer. You know, I I was going to say one question, Phil. So, like, in maybe in the context of this too, you know, we, we've also seen 
you know, Trevor Chalba end up staying with the first team squad this season, potentially looking likely that he'll get some type of contract renewal coming up here. And, and you know, and we've, we've talked about this, right? It's the balance. Like, how do you balance all of these things? You know, winning all of your competitions, grooming uh, great players out of the academy who can make their way into the first team, uh, and then also signing, uh, you know, the best of the best internationally, like bringing in Lukaku to come back after, uh, you know, the the second attempt at bringing him back. Uh, yeah. So, like, I guess we can kind of all that together. Like, how are you feeling maybe just in general about the kind of the state and standing, even with some of these maybe being like a loan with like a buy or a sale with a buyback option, which maybe gives that player a little bit more peace of mind, but also gives Chelsea potentially a, a costly, but maybe less uh, dangerous long-term play if they do want to eventually bring that player back. Yeah. The buyback clauses are mostly a protect protection thing for the club. And there's a li- tiny little bit of PR massaging in there because it eases the, the sting of any departure. But Chelsea had a buyback clause on Jeremy Berger. They had a buyback clause on Nathan Ake and they didn't activate either of them. And that's not to say that either player was good enough to be brought back by Chelsea. But when you end up in the position where it's a maybe do you bring Ake back or not? Because Ake went to Manchester City. He's only served as a squad player there and hasn't necessarily been used in the right way. But he went to a club of Chelsea's standing. And therefore, you think if Chelsea have got that choice between Ake and somebody else, do they trigger the clause anyway? And what level of talent do these players need to be for Chelsea to then want to trigger it? And you then have to convince the player to come back at the same time. And some of them may have doubts about what their future looks like at Chelsea as an established player. They know that there's a world of teams out there for them to do that. And I I don't buy too much stock in it right now. Chelsea bought Lukaku back and didn't have a a buyback clause there either. So I tend not to, to, to see too much value in them, but I understand why the club put them in. And in terms of the the Trevor Chalaba thing, he, he's done brilliantly in the opportunity he's been given. But everything rests on such a fine knife edge that any part of it could have fallen apart because this wasn't by design. He got his opportunity through being part of an extended squad in preseason while the seniors were returning from the Euros. He took that chance. But what would have happened if Chelsea had got the Jules Koundé deal over the line? That's a, that's, a, that's a deal that immediately affects Trev in numerous ways because it would take away the opportunity to play at right centre-half. It would take away the opportunity to play uh, perhaps at middle centre-half because of opportunities for other defenders moving inside. The addition of Saul in midfield takes away the ability for Trev to play in midfield. So it's, it's serendipitous that they haven't ended up signing Kunde for Chalaba's opportunities, but the intention was to sign Kunde. And that leaves you thinking, hold on a minute, Where? what minutes does Trev actually get here while they're trying to convince him to sign a new long-term deal? And these are the sorts of things that are instructive, not only to this generation of academy players who can see that there's doubt about their opportunities, but for the next lot coming along as well, who'll see that Tino Livramento has gone in at Southampton, a very respectable Premier League club, see that Tino Andrean has gone on loan to a Europa League club, seeing that Tomori's gone to Milan after a season in the first team and impressing. These players are getting opportunities at a high level of football. And the, the players that are coming through after them are of similar calibre and may not be prepared to to, to take the, the, the long waiting game that someone like Armando Broger and Levi Colwell clearly are doing. Well, we can talk about them as well because there were some late window loans for some of those players. Obviously, Colwell getting his earlier. 
Uh, but you just talked about Tino Andrin, uh, Sterling, Valo, and Ampadu. Uh, those are the ones who got moves. I don't know, again, if you want to start with Tino Andrin's move to, to Russia. Um, it sounds like they're... Is it is it convenient or like easy to connect the dots with Tuchel and... And, and all the connections they have at Locomotive Moscow and him taking the number 10 shirt, or is that just kind of the way it happened? I think it's more likely the way it happened than any particular connection because uh, let's, let's project the locomotives trigger the option to buy in the winter window, as reported by our friend earlier and to me, that they're expected to do so, which would make him a permanent locomotive Moscow player. Chelsea have the right for a buyback of double the fee, so 17 million to sell him, 34 million to buy him back, give or take on the conversion from Euros. Let's say two years down the line, he's in a position where Chelsea are, are looking to buy him back. Is Thomas Tuchel Chelsea's manager at that point? Is Ralph Rangnick still in the same situation at Locomotive? There, there's so many variables into it, as we've just talked about with the option to buy on other players. Nobody knows what's going to happen down the line, and the players know this more than anything else. And Andrin has been, by any measure, an outstanding performer for Chelsea at every academy level. He's been among the most productive goal scorers for players of his position for club and country for the last three, four, five years. And the opportunities weren't forthcoming at Chelsea pre-season was what it was COVID absences be damned and whatever but he's seen that there's an opportunity for him to grow as a player and as a as a person moving to Moscow playing in the Europa League getting the respect of a club legend Dmitry Loskov who had the number 10 shirt retired for the best part of a decade it's been brought out of retirement and, and bestowed to Andrew for the potential club record signing that he'll be it's it's not common at all that Chelsea send players on their first loan to a club of that level. Only Andreas Christensen's gone on a, a debut loan to a team of that sort of standing in European football. And, that, and that's the regard that Andrew should be held in. It's not going to be a surprise to anybody that he will impress once he's sorted out there. I know there's talk that because of a delayed preseason, they're going to have him on a personalised fitness programme to get him up to speed so he's ready to play towards the end of the month and then look out because... We've seen what he can do throughout the the development squad and the under eighteen at Chelsea, and odds are that he's going to be another one who hits the ground running. Well, that is exciting. <laughs> I, I mean, like you know, in general, like it's it's unfortunate again that you know we you know lose out maybe on a talent, and uh, you know he had that one moment in preseason where he was kind of stumbling and rumbling and like tried to get knocked down probably about four or five times, carried the ball forward into the box, ended up getting, I think it was a shot off um, and looked spicy, but definitely didn't get a chance to maybe get much more than that. But in, in general, if Chelsea are continue to line up these opportunities, it still makes the Academy a, attractive location for you know for potential footballers of the the future I, I would say the one that actually you know maybe as a loan deal which kind of struck me as unfortunate and i know that you have this buried a little deeper brandon but the ampadu one since we brought his name up like that one felt a little unfortunate given the fact that that was the Saul deal taking too long the fact that maybe newcastle could have come in for him and then you don't get a you know you now send him to essentially another side in Italy that is probably going to be challenged with uh, with relegation again two seasons in a row from like a psyche perspective I, I personally don't love it like yes he's gonna go wear brilliant kits but we're not paying him to be a fashion model we're trying to develop him into a footballer Phil 
Yeah, absolutely. The point about uh, leaving the loan to the last minute is definitely not lost on uh, me nor several other fans or people in the academy. It's unfortunate Newcastle may have moved for him, but Chelsea made them wait. They moved on to other targets that then fell through for themselves. Um, Venezia are considerably weaker than Sheffield United by comparison to last season. Sheffield United were relegated, surprisingly perhaps, considering the way they uh, returned to the Premier League the year before with a top-half finish. Uh, and they were valuable minutes for him last season, but you're looking for him to take a step um, uh, forward in his career, and it doesn't quite feel like he's done that with this move to Venezia. Now, the, the positives, he gets to live in a lovely part of Europe for a little while. Um, and also, it will be beneficial to take in and learn from another culture. Nathaniel Chalabar played a season on loan at Napoli under Maurizio Sarri, and while he didn't actually get a lot of playing time, he ab- absolutely grew as a person. He grew tactically as a footballer, and his appreciation of different things as a midfielder. And maybe that's what we'd hope for um, as much as anything from this move for him. Perhaps also an opportunity to play in midfield, because I think the more you look at him, the more it seems that his attributes are best suited to that midfield role that he plays for Wales where he can he can be a driving force in and out of possession. He can be a bit of an enforcer and he can be that sort of hybrid holding midfielder that drops into the back three. Uh, you can't necessarily do that at Chelsea because there's already three defenders behind you. Um, and we know he went to Leipzig a couple of years ago. didn't really work out for him. I wouldn't say this is a make or break move because he's still really young by most measures. He's 21 this this month. But we'd like to see a little bit more positive momentum coming forward for him, except the uh, 11th hour move to uh, Serie A relegation contender doesn't really feel like that. It, uh, it sure doesn't. Um, and he's not the only, I mean, at least he got a loan. You could say if you're trying to find a silver lining, but again, being told with seven hours left in the window that, Oh, just kidding. You can go on loan. Uh, probably didn't make him super excited. Uh, some players who didn't get loans, uh, Luce Baker, Charlie Musanda, uh, Terika Walkaway, and uh, George McEachern, yep. not Josh. Um, Josh is which, a few years older now. It, exactly. <laughs> the, the, the Ancelotti golden boy that unfortunately didn't uh, pan out. Um, but anyways, they didn't. And then including, you could even throw in Callum hudson Adoy who allegedly had that late loan interest from Borussia Dortmund, who didn't go. And I know, obviously, I'll let you touch on any of the the other players first, but I do want to circle back to Callum Hudson-Odoi because you're tweeting about him as well. But um, definitely some people on not only the first team, as we've kind of grumbled about guys that are getting roster spots and Champions League spots and numbers assigned to them that maybe we aren't totally thrilled with, it sounded like the same thing happened in the academy, Phil. Yeah, it's it's one of these things that Hudson Odoi, by most metrics and most advanced stats, and it's, it's stuff that I'm sure Joe and Yaz and various people will get into on uh, on on other discussions in good time. But he doesn't get the playing time that his performances necessarily warrant. Um, and we've we've heard talk or talk about it that he's in competition with the likes of. Timo Werner and Kai Havertz and Hakim Ziyech and Christian Pulisic for, for one position. And he's still managing to perform to this standard in a relatively unfamiliar right wing back role. Um, if you're not going to give him the playing time, and there's little to suggest that he's going to get it based on his time under Tuchel so far, then blocking a loan move doesn't benefit anybody. Because at worst, 
you're going to uh, annoy him further to the point where he will force or uh, do his best to force a move. And at best, he's not going to to get the minutes that he needs to to really start to prove himself. If he if if he has a, an outstanding game in the League Cup against Aston Villa, which is where most people expect he'll get his next significant minutes, is he going to retain his place in the team? It's it's such a frustrating situation to see because the talent is there and a loan move as much as we wouldn't necessarily wanted to see it because we know what he can bring to Chelsea a loan move would have at least been able to unlock that same sort of momentum that someone like Jaden Sancho managed to uh, gain at Dortmund after moving there of his own uh, own volition from Manchester City they are contemporaries they're both from the England 2000 generation they have a similar style of play they're both England under 17 uh, world, world under 17 cup winners in that 2017 team they Sancho played the group stage just Hudson Odoi uh, was on the other wing to him they were as good as each other at every level coming up and you can see what happens when pl- one player is given the minutes he needs to continue his progression and one starts to stall and unfortunately, we end up with the same questions about Callum. Uh, about it's all, it's all tied to work rate and to intensity, and those same questions don't get asked of other players. I think for me to answer your question, if he does well against Villa, will he keep his spot? No. I mean, Chalaba did well against Palace, scored a goal, was dropped for Arsenal, and we didn't see him till a sub appearance later. So, uh, look, I I think that happens, but yeah, I mean, when you put in some of the, the tweeted out some of these stats from the Athletic about what Callum has done in limited minutes, comparing him to Christian Pulisic, it, it definitely is a little bit of a uh, a head scratcher there, especially if you have someone willing to take a player and develop him in a top league. Like, let him go, figure it out, let him make or break it. He's a professional; he'll bet on himself. I'm sure every single time. And it's it's striking that. Everyone else has either been sold or loaned where, of those who are on the fringes or not quite getting the minutes they wanted. Abraham's gone. Andrew's gone on loan. Um, it's, it, he hasn't been allowed to go. And it doesn't make sense from anyone's perspective unless there is a definitive plan to get him the minutes he needs. And it's more of a show me, don't tell me. Until he gets consecutive starts in the position that we know that he can play his best football at. And that doesn't have to be as a, a left attacking midfielder. It could be on the right, but it's, it's sure as hell it isn't as a wing back. Because you're only going to get the opportunities to affect the game in the final third as a wing back in certain fixtures. And then it's, 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 it's not really representative of what he can be as a game changer in the big matches. Yeah. Um, let's, let's, transition here to some of the positive loan performances that we've seen uh dan your boy gallagher season tearing it up at crystal palace uh now that he's eligible to play after the the season opener against chelsea um bagging goals now too what what is this yeah sneaky uh 5.5 midfielder in that uh, fantasy premier league lineup for some people as well it just uh yeah, he, lo- he looks bright. He's getting further forward. And you know, I think this was something we had talked about earlier, Phil, in previous episodes. You know, what what type of loan is this going to be? What how are Crystal Palace going to play? Are they going to play a system under Vieira where they're going to be a little more expansive? They're going to try to play with the ball. They're going to be more attack minded or they're going to be defensive counterattacking trying to salvage the results they need to be appropriately mid table and not have to worry about relegation and i think in general we've seen uh it is more of the former rather than the latter and that has me more excited for 
how much developmental time or what the development will look like as long as Vieira is there and they can keep some of the uh, the good results going. Yeah, they seem to be fairly uh, open and attacking so far and putting a lot of responsibility on Connor to be that uh, presence from midfield who can who can drive with the ball and get into the box and score the goals like we saw away to West Ham. And it's it's looking like a positive loan and if he has another top season in the Premier League for a team that yeah let's talk about them as a mid-table team if if everything goes well what happens next summer if he has a six to seven goal premier league season for a decent palace team and chelsea sign Saul on a permanent basis what happens to connor at that point you've just sold tamori for 20 something million you've sold gurry for 20 something million if connor's in that bracket and you might think he can command a bit more as a as a midfielder who brings goals to the table if chelsea are looking to sell him then is a 30 million deal viable is somebody going to pay 30 million does connor end up on another cycle of loans it's it's no, there's nothing wrong with bringing in Saul for a season on loan he fits the bill for a bunch of reasons even if i think expectations are a little bit higher than they should be for a player who hasn't had great form in 12 to 18 months. But when you have an option to buy on him and you've got uh, development invested in Gallagher, what you then do in a year's time brings us back to that instructive point about the academy because it's not quite as easy as saying, well, Connor should back himself to come in at Chelsea and, and to prove himself because history tells us that the odds are against him no matter how well he performs. Well, I think if and when Connor performs this season, you're running out of places to loan him. You can't keep keep climbing the table at some point it's like are we there or are we not because to your point like if you're you know getting six to seven goals and look dude loves to tackle out of possession all right like let's not just put it all offensively uh connor is an is an absolute team player out of possession as well and loves to scrap um you're gonna run out of room for him you either have to say all right he's either in the first team or we're selling him uh because you know between these levels are there's fewer and fewer places for for players to go without being signed um a team in either europa league or fighting for top six don't want a lot of loan players they want players that are going to be there for the long term we've, we've we've just talked about chelsea's midfield options for the future without mentioning billy gilmore and i think everyone would agree that billy is arguably further ahead in the pecking order than connor because he had that time under lampard and had time with the first team squad or as connor's been out on loan if they have similar sorts of seasons and you've got two players looking to come back in for maybe not even one spot. And I, I people will tell me all the time they can't all make it, but that isn't the point. Nobody's expecting them to all make it. It's when you have the decisions to make, like if, if Saul has an outstanding season, is the best midfielder at the club, then of course you're going to sign him. But if he has an okay season, if he's good at times and average at others, then that's the point where you have to say, well, do we... Do we spend on him or do we trust what we have? Uh, if you're talking about sort of the, the the players at Chelsea that Gallagher would replace, it's either Saul or Kovacic. And I don't think he's at that level yet, but you have to give him the opportunity to show that he can be without sending him out on loan after loan after loan because the player doesn't want to do that. And every subsequent loan you take is a risk of them losing that momentum and from from some people's perspectives, losing the value that you could sell them for at the peak, which is what Chelsea have done this summer. But you, you potentially lose an asset, the likes of Mason Mount, Reese James, Andreas Christensen. They've only become what they've become because they were given the chance to do it. Yeah, uh, absolutely fair. Uh, another one on loan, Armando Broja is, you know, going from strength to strength. Really, I think you had tweeted that out, Phil, of like, 
you know, his for his goal for the dev squad and then his goal for Vitessa and then this and that and all the way to the full men's team at Albania scoring this past uh, international break. Yeah, like I said, he keeps meeting every challenge head on and it's it's really something to see because there's not been a journey like he's through the academy and into the senior game in in this manner in quite some time. And he's got his first couple of goals for Southampton in a, in a League Cup win at Newport. He's played Premier League football for them now. He's he's going on loans to clubs where you wouldn't immediately imagine that he would get as much football as he ends up getting, particularly at Vitesse to start with. He's forced his way into the Albanian national team. Now he's at Southampton. And it won't surprise me if by November, if he's playing regular starter minutes there, because every single thing that comes his way, he seems to just take any stride and improve his game, work hard uh, and impress from it. And it's just a delight to watch so far. It will be another sneaky way to potentially improve your FPL team um, later this season for those who play. Uh, I'm not trying to help Brandon Busby beat me in our own fantasy league, but, uh, you know, maybe he'll take that advice. Uh, last one that we wanted to touch on here, Phil, is probably the one maybe maybe that has at least people on social media the most excited is uh, young Levi Colwell, who at 18 years of age seems to be taking the championship by storm at Huddersfield. And particularly with the upcoming Chelsea center back crisis, potentially next season uh, could be playing his way into a position where he would be worth a look for the uh, maybe within a shout of the first team, if the trajectory remains the same. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think we've spoken before about all of the center half options at Chelsea. None of them are naturally left sided. And although Antonio Rudiger isn't naturally left-sided, he's proven that he can play there to a high standard. Uh, and if you're looking to a succession plan for him, knowing that he's out of contract next summer and yet to sign a new one with less than encouraging signs about uh, doing so, then you might look at Levi because he's a naturally left-footed, left-sided defender who's got the the size and the athleticism and the mentality that you look for in a modern defender he likes to defend he's very very good in the air but he's also the modern defender who can take the ball and and build play from the back very confident in in stepping out and breaking the lines with his passing he um he doesn't shirk the defensive issue i think it was revealing when he played in the uh the efl trophy last season um, particularly against Bristol Rovers, who gave him plenty of long balls to see if he was up for the challenge. And he ticked all those boxes, flying colours, and encouraged the likes of Huddersfield to go and get him on loan. He's already established himself maybe as one of their most important players. He's got an England under-21 call-up for the first time, despite it being age group a couple above his age, um, his actual age. And yeah, we've we've seen similar things before. We've seen Tamori at Derby be outstanding. We've seen Mark Gerhi at Swansea be outstanding. All of them prefer playing on the left of the defence at Chelsea. And all of them anointed by a significant portion of the fan base as Chelsea's left-sided defender of the future. Now, we know what happened with Tamori. We know what's happened with Gerhi. Everyone seems to be really, really high on Levi. Um, so if if there's a pathway, great. If there isn't a pathway, are people going to say, well, don't worry, we've got this guy coming up after him it's it's a it's a cycle that none of us want to keep experiencing because we'd like to see these players come into the first team and prove that they can be the succession plan levi has an opportunity to do that um he's gonna we, we were talking about him after a month of senior football here brilliant start let's hope he keeps that up for the season asks questions of the hierarchy at chelsea and uh, hopefully 
he has a future in the first team. I mean, off to a flying start, I'd say so. He's played 100% of the minutes, right? He's he's played five matches in the championship, 450 minutes. Started scored a goal. And he scored a game-winning goal in stoppage time. Uh, said it was the best moment of his career so far. Um, I do want to point out one thing, uh, Phil. This this might be considered a key to success, especially from a player's view. Uh, in Naz's piece on Goal.com, uh, he had a nice interview in the Next Gen series with Levi and um, in talking with him about getting his move and how quickly he settled at Huddersfield. This is what uh, Levi said, quote, along with completing the loan move early in the window, it helped me to settle down and be comfortable quicker, which is shown on the pitch with me and my teammates trusting each other so much, end quote. And he goes on to talk more about it. But again, Phil, he's just he's like, it's a different level than academy football. I had to quicken up real fast. It's a different style of play. The coaches, um, you know, formally connected to Marcel, Marcelo Bielsa. Therefore it's a highly technical, hardworking system. And he wouldn't be in the position of playing all 450 minutes and having earned the manager's trust if he had not gotten this done so quickly in the summer. Yeah. And it's, uh, a comparison to what we were talking about with Ethan Ampadu going on loan to Venezia at the very last minute. He now has to go to a new country into a squad that has spent pre-season together, uh, worked together to to create a bond, to try to gel in a new division. They've already had uh, 10% of their fixtures, give or take. And it's uh, the he, he's going there during an international break where he's with Wales, so he doesn't even get time to, to settle with the squad at that point either. This is why you ideally want your move sorted as early in the window as possible because it allows you to go in on a level with the players you're going to be competing with at that new club and to assert yourself throughout pre-season, throughout friendlies, and to prove to the manager that you're ready because once once the football starts for real, the the time for risk-taking is is not quite there. And, and exactly what Levi said, he's, he went there earlier. He would have made a decision to get that move in and done early, and he's reaping the rewards from it so far. All right, Dan, that's a comprehensive wrap, sir. That is the academy top to bottom. Well, again, we like going through the Cobham crew. We like talking about who's having success and finding success, whether that's in the club currently or out on loan, or even who have made their made their career outside of Chelsea that we're very happy for because, again, they came up through the ranks. So, uh, again, Phil, we appreciate you making the time to come in and join us and uh, knowledge us up so that we can be better informed and the listeners can be better informed. Happy to be here anytime, and I'll leave you with the fact that Chelsea have got another academy graduate for the international ranks, 34-year-old Anthony Grant, who some of you may remember making his debut away to Manchester United 15 or something years ago in the goal, where, uh, the game where Thiago scored that goal. Um, he made his debut for Jamaica at 34 years young over this international break and goes back to what you said, Chelsea produce footballers who enjoy careers at the highest levels. That is true. Well, again, thank you, Phil, for uh, taking us through that. And for all of you uh, that are becoming youth aficionados, remember, we have three matches uh, across the Dev Squad and the U18s, as well as some U19 UEFA Youth League matches as well in September. So plenty of football for you to catch up. Uh, highlights are posted online. Uh, Chelsea on their own website do match recaps. Uh, sometimes there are highlights. I believe there's highlights of the West Ham match on there. But anyways, 
go check it out. There's plenty of content for you to get involved and get educated again. This season, we are covering the club top to bottom. There's going to be no part of the club uncovered by us this season. So in case you missed it, we do have a new women's pod coming out this season. Uh, Nick and gang are dropping that. Dan and I, Nick, continue doing the men's squad. And obviously, Phil rounding us out with the Youth Academy. So hope you enjoy it. It's going to be a great season. Uh, International break's almost over by the time you're listening to this. So keep your head up. Uh, it's going to be great. So that's going to wrap us up. Until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do? Keep the blue flag flying high.